Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Well, lots to get into. And I'm going to start with democratic socialism and Bernie Sanders and really undress this once and for all, definitively. But before I do that, just so you know a little bit inside baseball, on Wednesdays at about 5, 5.15, 5.30, I get a call from my editor at uh, Simon & Schuster Threshold. And they let you know about the New York Times because the New York Times tells them what their list says. Now, as you know... Uh, our goal here is to be on that list, particularly number one, as long as we can, uh, to upset them as much as we can, because Chapter 6 of Unfreedom of the Press really exposes the New York Times, I believe, for what it is. And I want you to know I got that call today, and we were told that we are number one on the New York Times bestseller list, nonfiction, hardcover, and hardcover ebooks for the third week in a row. Beating, among others, this guy Michael Wolf and his fraudulent book, Siege. He wasn't even close. In fact, the number two book wasn't even close. So I want to thank all of you, all of you who've come to the book signings, all of you who go on Amazon and order the book, all of you who order the book in various retail stores, warehouse stores, Barnes & Noble, and so forth. I want to thank you all. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to do this, but I do it anyway. The number of units sold, that's what they call them. Hardcover, ebook, e audio, and CDs sold in three weeks is over a quarter of a million. And we've had no network, TV coverage, none whatsoever. Nothing on CBS, NBC, ABC, nothing, zero. Uh, and of course, Uh, They have pretended we don't exist all throughout the news media. And in fact, in some of the uh, conservative talk shows, although not many. And that's because of you. It's word of mouth at this point. That's because of you. And I want to thank you. But I also want you to know that this is about you, not just because of you. That the media are out of control, that the media are destroying our First Amendment and free speech, let alone uh, freedom of the press. And we're going to continue to push this because you can see going into this next election exactly what's going on. Now, this week, Jim Acosta's book has come out. And the media are pushing it very, very hard. Very hard. He's been on CBS. He's been interviewed by the New York Times. He's been interviewed CNN, of course. They're just pushing the hell out of this book. So I'm hoping I can squeeze one more number one out of this 
and defeat him. We've defeated Michael Wolf, and now we need to defeat, as far as I'm concerned, Jim Acosta and his phony book. There's a lot of differences between my book, Unfreedom of the Press, and his, Enemy of the People. One of the biggest differences is his book is about him. My book is about you. My book is about this country. My book is about the First Amendment, the Constitution, and freedom of the press. Again, his book is about him. Go figure. Go figure. So Father's Day is almost here. I hope you'll hop onto Amazon as you're listening to me, or if you're on the road, go into one of our wonderful retail outlets that has the book. All of them should. Barnes & Noble's been terrific. Costco's been terrific now. They really all have. Although I have to say, we were at LAX. We were flying back from Reagan on Sunday, and they didn't have a single unfreedom of the press at the Hudson bookstores anywhere in the airport. I don't know why. I don't know why, but that doesn't matter. I want to address this issue of democratic socialism. First of all, it's a fraud. Those two words don't go together. Democratic socialism. Democratic socialism. How can they possibly work together? They're at odds with each other. Socialism is about government. Socialism is about centralized control. Socialism is about Forcing people to do things, uniformity and conformity. Socialism isn't about democracy, let alone republicanism. These people who push socialism need to dress it up as something that's very attractive. They're never going to tell you the reality of socialism. They're never going to tell you what happens to individuals, what happens to to employees and employers. They're never going to tell you about the empty food shelves or the lack of roofs over your head and so forth and so on. So Bernie Sanders has never lived under socialism. Bernie Sanders has never lived under Marxism. Bernie Sanders has only lived under capitalism and our constitutional system. Bernie Sanders never chose chose to leave this country and live in Moscow. He visits Moscow. He's never chosen to live under any of the regimes he points to as the great successes of utopianism, socialism. Talks about the Scandinavian countries, but he lives here. He used to talk about Nicaragua, but he lives here. He used to talk about the Soviet Union, but he lives here. Bernie Sanders does not live as he proselytizes. None of them do. None of them do. So here he is in Washington, D.C. today, of course. Where else? And here he goes with his Marxist propaganda. Cut 10, go. Now, when we talk about oligarchy, let us be clear about what we mean. I don't know who the we is that he's talking about. Who's we? What does he mean, his comrades? Anyway, go ahead. Now in the United States of America, three families control more wealth than the bottom half of our country. 
some 160 million Americans. All right, let's stop right there. What does that mean? What does it mean to control wealth? Mr. Producer, do you know what that means? What does that mean to control wealth? Well, let's take a look at Bezos, by the way, a liberal Democrat who owns the Washington Compost, the wealthiest man on the face of the earth. Maybe we should look at Bill Gates, the second wealthiest man on the face of the earth, another liberal Democrat. Or Warren Buffett, the third wealthiest man on the face of the earth, another liberal Democrat. That's three by my count. Let's look at all three of them. Maybe those are the three families he's talking about. Liberal Democrats. What do they do with this wealth? I don't understand. They control all this wealth. So let's look. Amazon controls all this wealth. What does Amazon do with all this wealth? What does Bezos do with all this wealth? What does he do with it? He invests it. What else does he do with it? He obviously expands his headquarters. What else does he do with it? He hires people. What else does he do with it? They make it like he's sitting on all this wealth and nobody else has access to it. Are you kidding me? Capitalism is the freest form, the greatest form of distribution of wealth that has ever existed during mankind. What do you think capitalism is? It's the voluntary movement of capital. Money, goods, services. If somebody's worth the most extreme example, $100 billion or $50 billion, what do you think they're doing with that money? They're creating more wealth. They're creating more opportunities. They're creating more jobs. They're developing more things. What does this mean? By his thinking, by his thinking, It's not a matter of individuals or families that control wealth. Let's look at the federal government. The federal government has a budget of over $4 trillion. No collection of families even come close to that. So the federal government controls the vast majority of wealth in this country as opposed to the private sector or individual families, I should say. So what does that mean? You see the point, ladies and gentlemen, and nobody's there to challenge him, which is exactly why he will not come on this program. This is Marx's claptrap, where they put us all in categories. They put us all in these, these categories of wealth and call us this class and that class. So if somebody has $50 billion or five billion, or a hundred billion, or one billion, or a million, or five million. Let's say they buy extravagant homes. Well, what does that mean? That means they employ people who build those homes. Well, who builds those homes? Electricians and plumbers and roofers and carpenters and bricklayers and tile layers and plumbers. All kinds of people who are not millionaires and billionaires. Maybe they employ landscapers and maids and butlers. I don't know. Chefs. That employs even more people. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? 
Or maybe they're super wealthy because they invented something that we want and need. And that resonates throughout the economy. Like Microsoft. Like Apple. Like Amazon. Where all kinds of people can participate in servicing or expanding on those business platforms. And making money on their own. So, people don't actually control $50 billion. They don't actually control $100 billion. They don't actually control all this wealth. They invest it. And when they invest it, they lose iron-fisted control over it. Because they're moving the money into the economy. And that money resonates throughout the economy. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. If the government took all the money from Amazon, put the politics aside. If the government took all the money from Amazon and there was no Amazon and Bezos, I don't like Bezos, but Bezos was worth $100,000 a year, what would the government do with that money? It'd be gone in one or two years. None of the growth, none of the business activity, none of the service activity, none of the assembly lines would exist. Because government doesn't create wealth. Government doesn't grow the economy. It redistributes wealth. So it will destroy these entities. But if you want to talk about oligopolies, I'll talk about monopoly. The federal government is the biggest monopoly on the face of the earth. And I'll prove it when we return. Mark Levin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community help students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. I said I'm going to prove to you that the biggest monopoly on the face of the earth is controlled by the government, because it is the government. It's not three families. And who really controls the government, ladies and gentlemen? The left. The left controls the government. And what they want is this seismic shift from liberty in the private sector to the government. And the government has something that those three families don't have, the power of law, the power to punish, to fine, to penalize, and imprison. None of those three families, whomever they are, have any of that power. 
Now, the most popular book I ever wrote was Liberty and Tyranny. Some people think that will be my uh, epithet. But anyway, the federal government is a massive, unaccountable conglomerate. It is the nation's largest creditor, debtor, lender, employer, consumer, contractor, grantor, property owner, tenant, insurer, health care provider, and pension guarantor. No business, no combination of businesses, no family, no combination of families can come close to competing against the central government. And now you might want to reference your Constitution. Where in your Constitution is the federal government authorized to do anything I just said there? And to be the largest to boot. The federal government controls, Mr. Sanders, your word, approximately 30% of the landmass in America. 30%. Think about that. Now, these are facts you will not hear in response to Bernie Sanders, Lenin slash Stalin slash Castro slash Mao like propaganda. Go ahead. The top 1% own more wealth than the bottom 92%. Again, I don't know what that means. Nobody knows what that means. Money moves like water. Nothing, nothing that he says prevents you. Prevents you from becoming wealthy if you wish to. Nothing. Nothing he says prevents you from working your way out of poverty. Nothing that he says prevents you from doing that. Nothing prevents you from increasing your living standard or reaching a standard that is, you know, almost unimaginable to a lot of people. Nothing. Because that money is not controlled. That money is invested in a thousand different ways, creating millions of different opportunities. If they put it in banks, the banks roll it over and lend money to you for homes, cars, businesses, what have you. You put it in the stock market, that's used as capital to allow companies, businesses to expand. And if you have a pension, a 401k, an IRA, whatever it is, that benefits you. I'm not done. More when I return. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course. Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. 
You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. So I must take time to go through this. So let's start from the top. Cut 10, go. Now, when we talk about oligarchy, let us be clear about what we mean. Right now, in the United States of America, three families control more wealth than the bottom half of our country, some 160 million Americans. All right, so I've undressed that. Go ahead. The top 1% own more wealth than the bottom 92%. Which uh, which is an absurd statement, since you may own wealth, quote-unquote, Control wealth, quote-unquote, but wealth permeates throughout the economy. I don't care how rich you are. Uh, Your wealth is in different places. It's not in your mattress. It's not in a shoebox. It is in stocks, bonds, real estate, gold, commodities, capital investment, um, material investment, all kinds of stuff that creates, resonates throughout the economy, all kinds of good-paying Jobs. Go ahead. 49% of all new income generated today goes to the top 1%. I don't know what that means. Neither does he. I have no idea what that means. Go ahead. In fact, income and wealth inequality today is greater in the United States than in any time since the 1920s. And what does that mean? Well, the richest people are richer than ever, and the poorest people are poorer than ever. That's not true. The poorest people are not poorer than ever. You see, this is good for Marxist propaganda, but it is meaningless. If the people at the lower end of the rung of the ladder are doing far, far better than the people at the lower end of the rung of the ladder in the 1920s, with a massive welfare state, whether it's health care or food stamps, whether it's social security and disability, you name it. Massive. And so to say the gap is worse than ever, he's trying to create the, the imagery that you have basically people living in the gutter and then people living, uh, you know, spectacularly well. Now, by the way, that does happen all over the world, especially in democratic socialist regimes. Because you can't grow your way out of these situations. You can't create your way out of situations. You can't, you can't develop your way out of situations. And so you have to keep relying on the government more and more and more. And the government becomes more and more restrictive, more and more controlling, more and more iron-fisted. And so the answer to what he's suggesting is less government and more liberty. Less government and more liberty. What he doesn't say, if he really believes in that canard, is that at no time have we had more government in the United States than we have now. At no time have we had more spending, more debt than we've had now. At no time have we had a bigger bureaucracy than we have now. More regulations than we have now. He doesn't point that out. 
So obviously, from his perspective, it's not working, is it? It's not working. So his answer is, it's not working, so let's do more of it. So let's do more of it. So the gap is irrelevant. The gap is irrelevant. Poor people in this country, or so-called lower middle class people in this country, live better than the 1920s, live better than kings and queens lived in England and France and throughout Europe 300 years ago. And that's the truth. As I give you the example, go into a grocery store, better yet, go into a supermarket and see what's there. And it's all affordable. It's all affordable. The world's never seen anything like this, ever. What's in the United States? This guy's using class warfare from the 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s. And really, if you think about Hegel, the early 1800s, or even think about Rousseau, he's using the propaganda of those who opposed feudalism and monarchy. But we don't have a feudalist system, and we don't have a monarchy. We have the freest economic system on the face of the earth. Go ahead. And when we talk about oligarchy, it is not just that the very rich are getting much richer. It is that tens of millions of working class people in the wealthiest country on earth are suffering under incredible economic hardship, desperately trying to survive. No, no, let's let's hold on a second. Is that America? Do we have tens of millions of people desperately trying to survive? We have tens of millions of people who break their back every day and go to work. And one of the reasons is they have to pay confiscatory taxes at the local and state and federal level. Property taxes through the roof. A very few states have no state income tax, but the ones that do, they're through the roof. And still, the federal income taxes on the individual are way too high. And then you have nuisance taxes and user taxes. And then you have regulations, another level of tax that's relatively hidden. The biggest expense most hardworking Americans who actually earn a living and pay their way and pay the way of other people, the biggest expense they have is taxes. Taxes. Not food, not clothing, not even mortgage and housing. It's taxes. Look at the deductions from your payroll. Look at the deductions. Look at the income taxes, the state income taxes, unemployment compensation, workers' compensation, Social Security, Medicare, which they want to give to everybody now. And it goes on and on and on. People are shocked when they come out of college and they actually get a job. It doesn't pay a whole lot. And they say, whoa, what happened to all my income? Exactly. Exactly. Bernie Stan- Sanders is a Marxist snake oil salesman. That's what he is. He wants you to focus on the wealthy families, and they're in your way. They're irrelevant. They have nothing to do with your life. Nothing. If the guy next door to you has $50 million, that is of no consequence to you whatsoever. None. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect your freedom. It doesn't affect your ability to go out there and make something of yourself. It's irrelevant. Go ahead. 
And here is something quite incredible that tells you all that you need to know about the results of unfettered capitalism. Whoa, 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 whoa. He said unfettered or unfettered, did he mean? Unfettered capitalism. We don't have unfettered capitalism. I wish we had more unfettered capitalism than we have now. We don't have unfettered capitalism. Have you ever tried starting a business in your garage these days? They used to do it 50 years ago. All kinds of zoning restrictions, taxes, business taxes, all kinds of stuff before you can even do it. You ever try opening a restaurant and all the rules that are applied, local, state, and federal, this health thing, and then the the minimum wage, and then the, the insurance, and... And the inspections, and it goes on and on and on, your menu, and it's difficult to make a buck today because of government. But once you get through all that, you can make some money. You can make a living. But they make you go through a, an incredible, like an Olympic-style triathlon before you can actually come out the other end and do some business. Go ahead. All of us want to live long, happy, and productive lives. But in America today, the very rich live, on average, 15 years longer than the poorest Americans. I have no idea what he's talking about. Who are the very rich? Does he mean those three families? Does he mean millionaires? Does he mean a couple, a firefighter, and a teacher that earn over $300,000 combined income? What does he mean by that? Is he trying to say you buy the best health care in the country? Is that what he's trying to say? Well, where do you buy the best health care in the country? We have magnificent hospitals. Most of them are located in some of the most dangerous parts of dangerous cities on the face of the earth. You know where Johns Hopkins is? With all due respect, you don't want to walk around that Johns Hopkins hospital campus at midnight. You'll get hurt. Or the Cleveland Clinic. You'll get hurt. Or I can name all the other top hospitals. It's not like they're in Beverly Hills or Palm Springs or Palm Beach. Matter of fact, there aren't many great hospitals in Palm Beach. I can attest to that. No offense. So what is he talking about? There are people who have jobs. Very difficult jobs that will have an effect on your life expectancy. Coal miners, steel workers, oil workers, commercial fishermen, people who work really hard, and their jobs create situations that could affect their health or the longevity of their lives. It's not because of wealth. It's because of the nature of the job in many cases. The nature of the job. And I wonder when the Marxist Bernie Sanders throws out these figures, if he's also talking about the United States military or law enforcement, both of which he has nothing but contempt for. Both of which. And both types of jobs are not about working an assembly line 
are not about being wealthy. They're jobs you take and put your life on the line every single day. The longevity of somebody in combat is a lot less than somebody here at home in the United States. The longevity of a cop is a lot shorter as an aggregate, police officers, than people who work desk jobs. And yet you don't hear Bernie Sanders speaking out for cops. You don't hear Bernie Sanders speaking out for, lo- for uh, the military. I'll give you another example. The men and women, coal miners. That's got to be one of the hardest jobs on the face of the earth. There's a reason why West Virginia has turned Republican. Because they, direct, they uh, reject what Barack Obama tried to do to them. As they would reject what Bernie Sanders wants to do to them. Put them out of work so they can't feed their families. Talk about a short lifespan. The whole Green New Deal is targeted at blue-collar workers, union and non-union, putting them out of work. That's the whole Green New Deal. Putting them out of work. Illegal immigration, open borders, which Bernie Sanders supports. That puts hard-working blue-collar Americans more than anybody else out of work. Don't hand me this pablin that this Marxist cares about hard-working Americans. He could care less. He wants control. He wants power. He wants to reorganize society because he's an egomaniac and he's a narcissist, just like all the Marxists. And that's exactly what he is. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Let's continue with Bernie Sanders. Go ahead. In 2014, for example, in McDowell County, West Virginia, one of the poorest counties in the nation, life expectancy for men was 64 years. In Fairfax County, Virginia, a wealthy county, just 350 miles away, life expectancy for men was nearly 82 years. Now, this is interesting to me. This is interesting to me. He's comparing coal country 
to the largest county outside of Washington, D.C., which has a large number of government employees and contractors who work with and for the federal government. And he's looking at those two examples. And he's saying, look at the life expectancy. And he wants you to believe that's because of where people live. No, it's not. It's because of what people do for a living. When you go into coal mines, it's a dangerous, dangerous job. When you go into the Department of Agriculture, it's not. It's not. This isn't a just attack on our economic system. This is propaganda. But if Bernie Sanders had his way, all those coal mines would be closed. If the Democrat Party and the left had their way, all those coal miners would be out of work. Where would they go then? What would they do then? Remember what Obama said. He's going to close the coal mines. These are people who vote now Republican. And most of them are union members. United Mine Workers. Why are they voting against Obama? Why would they vote against Bernie Sanders? Why is that state firmly in a presidential Republican column now? Because they don't buy what Bernie Sanders says. They don't buy it for one minute. And yet why do the people in Fairfax County, excuse me, why are they voting Democrat? Why are they voting for liberals? Why would they vote for Obama or a Bernie Sanders and so forth? Not all of you, of course. Because they benefit from government. That's why. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, uh, I told you I feel there's things... The people, our people, stirring out there. The ratings are coming in. We have very strong radio ratings. Very strong. Very strong Life, Liberty, and Levin Fox ratings. So discussing the media, discussing this book, discussing how, how it connects up with what's going on in our politics today. People are really on the edge of their seats. You are trying to understand so we can cope with this, so we can deal with this because of this monumental election that we have coming. And it is monumental. One of the things I don't like to do on this program is endlessly play clips of these people. And yet, they say such outrageous things that for me to read them from a news article or something, it's not the same as listening to what they have to say. So I I just want you to know, I'm very careful about filling up this show with clips But there's still some remaining clips I want to play because I want to counter what these people are saying. They won't come on the program, so I can't debate them. By the way, Mr. Producer, we have a great interview. When are we playing that? We are going to play a wonderful interview I did earlier today with the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, at the bottom of the hour. 
the Secretary of State wanted to come on the program, and we were very honored to have him. And uh, I think you're going to hear some things here, particularly as, as applies to Mexico and this deal with Mexico that's very, very important. It cuts through all the static of the New York Times and the other media frauds. But speaking of media frauds, I want you to listen to Don Lemon going, making a statement with Jim Acosta. With Jim Acosta. I want you to listen to this. Cut 12 hat tip Washington free beacon. Go. For all those people who say, oh, do you know, the, the, the press, CNN hates Trump and the CNN is, uh, you know, uh, loves the Democrats. I watched Manu Raju with Nancy Pelosi, who yeah. clearly did not want to answer Manu's questions today, That's even right. in her body language. And you know what? He persisted. And he whoa, asked whoa, whoa, whoa. Her, what does that have to do with Trump? What does that have to do with Trump? Why are you such a fraud, Don Lemon? They can ask Nancy Pelosi some tough questions. They rarely do, but they can. But they still hate Trump, and they still want to destroy Trump. Destroy Trump. What doesn't relate to the other? Go ahead. And by, and by the way, one of the reasons they're being tough on Nancy Pelosi, one of the reasons is Manu Raju, the CNN reporter, was tough on Pelosi, quote-unquote, is because he kept pushing impeachment. And she's not ready to say, yes, we're going to impeach today, Manu of CNN. So he can't even he can't even be honest on Lemon about that. In other words, this Manu Raju is attacking in, in essence or in some form Nancy Pelosi from the left. From the left. Because the media are pushing impeachment. That's a fact. Go ahead. Anyone, a Democrat or Republican, regardless of who it is, if you hold a position of power, we, the journalists at CNN, are going to question you. About you know, it. you're an egomaniac and a narcissist, and you're a liar. You didn't do that with Barack Obama. You're not holding anybody's feet to the fire. You have an out-of-control chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, an out-of-control chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, an out-of-control chairman of the House Government Oversight and Blah, Blah, Blah Committee, you're not holding anybody's feet to the fire. This guy Cummings, his wife looks really, really, uh, well, troubling, should I say. You're not holding anyone's feet to the fire. Omar, you didn't hold her feet for the, to the fire for her anti-Semitism and now her, her apparent tax fraud. You're a joke, Don Lemon, and that's the problem. You're a joke and you don't even know it. Go ahead or not. That's right. We're here to hold their feet to the fire. And just because we are pro-truth doesn't mean that we are anti-Trump. Oh, now listen. I mean, this is incredible, is it not? Listen how these people think of themselves and pat themselves on the head. You know, uh, just because uh, we hold their feet to the fire, just because we are pro-truth doesn't mean we're anti-Trump. Oh, okay. Go ahead. You know, as I write throughout this book and I try to close it out on on a hopeful note, we are not the enemy of the people. We are defenders of the people. You're not defenders of the people. You don't even know the people. You didn't even know the people in 2016. And how are you defenders of the people? What is the standard? What is the measurement of that? Now, I sent my book to this clown, and it's clear he's not interested in it. We even sent it to Don Lemon. We even sent it to him. Go ahead. I want to defend the people because we're devoted to the people. You're devoted you, to the people. You ever hear self-serving comments like they're devoted to the people? 
They're there to defend the people. And they want to hold powerful people, their feet to the fire, when in fact they support massive government, the expansion of massive government, massive government programs, massive bureaucracy. They live among it. They believe in it. They embrace it. They're leftists who claim to support the people as much as Bernie Sanders claims to support the people. They're also egomaniacs. Go ahead. Uh, our, our families, our parents, our kids, uh, our loved ones, we all think about all of those folks when we come into the office and do this job. No, on you don't. Where's the evidence of that? No, you don't. You think of yourself. It's the amazing thing. You wrote a book about the press, and it's about you. I wrote a book about the press, and it's about you, too. But it's not about me. In fact, none of my books are about me now that I think about it, like, other than Rescuing Sprite, which is about our dogs. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, we're not here to spin things or, uh, you know, color things a certain way. We're here to give the people reliable, accurate information. No, on you're not. Basis. You're a liar and you're a fraud and the people know it. That's exactly what you are. And chapter and verse in unfreedom of the press. And now we'll know. My book is out week four. His book is out his first week. Now, his book should beat my book in terms of popular support or not. It should. It's his first week. All the pre-sales are counted in the first week. He ought to beat me. Because, again, I'm in week four. And that's okay if he does. But we'll see if he does. That, of course, will be up to you. And he's getting all the fawning press from all the, the PAC media and the, the groupthink uh, uh, journalists, so-called getting all the promotions that are possible. I'm sure the book reviews are great. Sam Donaldson thinks his book is terrific. Sam, you got to glue that, that squirrel on your head a little tighter. It's moving around. It just is. And his book is a lie. Because this president is not a threat to the press. The media today threatens the press. This president has done nothing to the press, as I've stated over and over and over again and written. Whether you look at Adams or Lincoln or Wilson or FDR, John Kennedy, LBJ, Obama, and yes, Nixon. The president has done nothing. So why is it? Why is it that Don Lemon and Jim Acosta ignore what James Risen said about Barack Obama? Why is it that they participate in attacks on the Fox News channel if they really believe in freedom of the press? When they're trashing one of a handful of actual outlets that don't conform to their ideology. And the idea that they're not attacking Trump, what do they think we are? Helen Keller here, ladies and gentlemen. We see it. We hear it. We know exactly what's going on. And they ignore the evidence. It's overwhelming. The Harvard Shorenstein Center on media did a study, I've told you, the first 100 days of the Trump presidency, and these two clowns are on CNN, CNN 90%, excuse me, over 90% negative. NBC, over 90% negative. CBS, over 90% negative. That's the Shorenstein Center, not us, not me. Not me. But these people are delusional because they're ideologues of the left. 
You're not defenders of the people. You don't represent the people. You're supposed to give us the news. You're not supposed to be activists, social activists. Give us the facts. Give us the news. But you don't and you won't. Because you have violated the greatest principle. The greatest principle of true journalism. Which is you commingle opinion with fact. That's what you do. You're not giving us reliable, accurate information on a daily basis. says, that's why we come to work every day. That's not why you come to work every day. That's not why you wrote your book. You're a performer. You're a man of pseudo-events. You're a man of propaganda, both of you. That's exactly what you are. You're a disgrace. You're a disgrace. I'll be right back. You know, I sit here, as I tell you all the time during the breaks, and I I mull these things over, and I'm thinking about that clip with Don Lemon. See, Manu Raju was tough on Nancy Pelosi. So Manu Raju's tough on Nancy Pelosi because he's questioning her about the impeachment of Donald Trump. No, actually, if he were to be tough on Nancy Pelosi, he wouldn't be asking her about Donald Trump, he'd be asking her about her, right? What about her last 10 years of tax returns? What about her bank accounts for the last 10 years? What about her financial records? And of course, I include her husband, Paul, in all this. Why won't she turn all that information over? Now, that would be being tough with Nancy Pelosi, not why won't you impeach Trump? When will you impeach Trump? Uh, Should Trump be impeached? Are you going to impeach him tomorrow? Maybe yesterday you should have impeached him. Those aren't tough questions. Tough question is about Nancy Pelosi. How did you become you and your husband worth $100 million. Why do you have walls around your estates? Why are you doing nothing about what's taking place on the border? You're the Speaker of the House. Why are you doing nothing about the debt? These would be tough questions for Nancy Pelosi. But according to Don Lemon, who is a complete joke, absolute jackass, according to him, Manu Raju, pressing Nancy Pelosi about Donald Trump, proves that they want to hold her feet to the fire. Have you ever heard anything so stupid? But it also shows you their mindset. They're proving the point. They want impeachment. And Jim Acosta sits there with one platitude after another. One platitude after another. This is May 18, 2017, the Shorenstein Center, as I wrote in Unfreedom of the Press. Trump's attacks on the press have been aimed at what he calls the mainstream media. Six of the seven U.S. outlets in our study... CBS, CNN, NBC, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. Among those, he's attacked by name. All six portray Trump's first 100 days in highly unfavorable terms. CNN and NBC's coverage were the most unrelenting. Negative stories about Trump outpaced positive ones by 13 to 1 on the two networks in the first 100 days. Trump's coverage on CBS also exceeded the 90% negative mark. 
Trump's coverage exceeded the 80% negative level. The New York Times, 87%. The Washington Post, 83%. The Wall Street Journal, 70%. A difference largely attributable to their more frequent favorable coverage of the economic, uh, of, of the economy. Fox was the only outlet where Trump's overall coverage nearly crept into positive territory. 52 negative, 48 positive on news coverage. So these are the facts. These are the facts. Then they write this. Trump's coverage during his first 100 days was not merely negative in overall terms. It was unfavorable on every dimension. I'm quoting. There was not a single major topic where Trump's coverage was more positive than negative. Not one. Not one. These are the facts. But Mr. Lemon and Mr. Acosta don't deal in facts. They deal in hyperbole. They deal in platitudes. They wrap themselves in freedom of the press when they have nothing to do with freedom. You know, uh, we're defenders of the people. We try and bring the people, uh, you know, information. Reliable, accurate information. No, you don't. Not in the least. The facts are the facts. And by the way, we're eyewitnesses to this, ladies and gentlemen. It's not like this isn't happening every day. We are eyewitnesses to what's taking place. So this is just BS. There's another story affecting... Uh, MSNBC, and I'm pulling it up now. This is over at uh, Mediaite, Aiden McLaughlin. I don't know if that's a guy or a gal, but I don't think we're allowed to know or care. MSNBC implemented a big shakeup in programming this week, Mediaite has learned, appointing Senior Vice President of Programming and Development Jonathan Wald and MSNBC Executive Editor Dan Arnall to lead Dayside the daytime programs. The former head of Dayside, NBC News Senior Vice President Janelle Rodriguez will take control of NBC News now, the network streaming service. So in other words, he's been pushed out. No doubt they're racists. Janelle Rodriguez and probably uh, sexist. The changes were announced company-wide at 9 a.m. this morning. A source told Mediate that the new organization returns MSNBC to its former structure, Dayside will be managed in two blocks, with Wall taking over 9 a.m. to noon and Arnault taking noon to 4 p.m. <coughs> Excuse me. Wald will also continue to oversee the network's primetime shows alongside MSNBC president Phil Griffin. Now, Phil Griffin obviously is a terrible, terrible broadcaster, or they wouldn't need Wall to be alongside him as president of MSNBC. Rodriguez will continue to lead news gathering and editorial for MSNBC Dayside, NBC Nightly News, in addition to her job for the network streaming service. Show producers, however, will report to Walden and Arnott. This is uh, the removing deck chairs on the Titanic here. CNN's ratings are cratering. MSNBC is next. Rachel Maddow's ratings are off by like half a million a night. That ought to get more coverage than it's getting. They're tanking. This is why they attack Fox, because Fox is not tanking. One source familiar told Mediaite that changes came amidst mounting complaints from NBC News Chief Andy Lack, another loser, about a dip in MSNBC's ratings following the end of the Mueller investigation. 
In May, ratings for the network and the advertiser coveted 25 to 54 demo were down 32% year over year. MSNBC's ratings and total viewers were flat, though it saw an increase in dayside viewership of 8%, while CNN and Fox were also down. Yeah, but Fox is way up. So in order to be down, they're already way up, is my point. Wald joined MSNBC in 2017 from CNN, where he was executive producer of Don Lemon's show, CNN Tonight. Well, that's why he's a loser. He's bouncing around MSNBC now. Anybody who's been involved in Don Lemon's show or Cuomo's show or working with Acosta, absolute losers. And propagandists, I might add. I'll be right back. Take a look at the Drudge Report, ladies and gentlemen. I got to say, Matt Drudge is uh, very, very special. He really is. He's on the cutting edge. And we appreciate him on this program. And uh, he's iconic, what he's done to news and what he's done on the Internet and so forth. Everybody wants to be Matt Drudge. But go ahead. Take a look at the Drudge Report. And we want to salute him and thank him. Earlier today, I had the honor, and I mean that. And I don't say that all the time to interview the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who I think is doing a tremendous job led by the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and also our wonderful National Security Advisor, John Bolton. This is a tremendous team that the President has put together. And we have not had the Secretary of State on this program. And so uh, we did a brief interview with him. Uh, He wanted to come on. He wanted to set the record straight when it comes to Mexico, and we were more than happy to do that. Here goes. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Mark. How are you today? I'm good. It's it's a pleasure. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the program this evening. I want to get into some of these hot topics. Mexico, President of the United States, you know, he put his foot down. He said, this is a national security issue. People are flooding into our country from Central and South America. Mexico's not doing enough to stop it. He threatens them with a 5% tariff. They appear to have, uh, uh, have uh, you know, responded properly to that. And then, of course, what's happening is the media and the Democrats are saying, oh, this was all going to happen anyway. Can you elaborate on that? I can, and you've actually described it pretty well, Mark. Um, I, I was in the negotiations both last week and then uh, have been working this for a, a year on plus now. Uh, none of this would have happened without the president uh, raising the specter of placing tariffs on the Mexican government. It, it brought a level of seriousness to discussion that matches the seriousness that is this flow of illegal immigrants into our country. And so we got the Mexicans to agree to things that we'd previously not been able them get them to agree to do inside of their own country, not only security at their southern border, and we're happy to try and assist them with that as well, uh, but real efforts to allow us to return uh, asylum seekers who come to America uh, seeking asylum, allow them to remain in Mexico during the pendency of their claim. That's a, a big deal to the tune of, uh, when we get it right, to the tune of tens of thousands of people a year that will be returned to Mexico and not be here in the United States. Uh, we, we have to do this. We have to do this well. This is a national security and humanitarian crisis. And President Trump got a good outcome this past week. We now just have to execute on those agreements. So I want to underscore this point for my audience. I just really want to underscore it that but for the fact that the president 
said, look, I, I've had enough of this. We're going to put a tariff in place, 5%, increase it every month. We wouldn't have had a deal. Isn't that your point? Mark, I don't think there's any doubt about that. When he raised the specter, they flew to Washington. The Mexican leaders flew to Washington. We had intense discussions over two and a half days and got an outcome which is now executable. Why do you think the media led by the New York Times and, of course, the Democrats resist facts? In other words, why, why don't they at least accept the fact that the president of the United States was right about this? Boy, Mark, I try to stay out of the heads of, right. <laughs> of some of those media folks because it's unexplainable. This is, uh, this is just a, sim- a simple set of facts, pretty comprehensible and pretty transparent, I think, to your listeners. Let's move to China. You know, I've been watching China for many, many years, actually even before this administration. They are very aggressive. Uh, the military they have built and are expanding is not about regional security. It's about a superpower that seeks to replace us as the number one superpower in the world. Um, can you tell us what's going on in terms of our relations with China? Mark, the president has taken an uh, incredibly strong position that previous presidents of both political parties have refused to take as the concerns and threats from China have mounted. Uh, as their economy has grown, as they've attempted to use unfair trade rules against us, as they have militarized the South China Sea. The, the list is pretty long. Uh, we, we talk about their uh, use of Huawei and other state-owned enterprises to uh, infiltrate the United States in terms of information uh, grabbing. Uh, the president's taken a very strong response to that. These are serious national security challenges. Uh, and while the president is working diligently to get a good trade deal, and I hope when uh, he's in Japan and he meets with Xi next week, they can make arrangements on trade uh, that correct those imbalances in the trading rules to give us a free, fair, reciprocal set of trading understandings. Uh, the challenges from China are broader than that. I think the president knows that. And we're determined to make sure uh, that we protect Americans in every dimension from the challenges that China presents to us. And China does present challenges, doesn't it? I mean, it has a, a, a substantial economy, although not nearly the size of ours. It is stealing our technology left and right. It is infiltrating our colleges and universities with these Confucius centers. It's in space now with killer satellites. It's big into cyber warfare activity, or the potentially so. It controls through contracts both sides of the Panama Canal. It's in North Africa. I mean, this, this is a country on the move, is it not? Mark, it, it certainly is, and you see that. You, you talked about uh, Africa, uh, their efforts, these infrastructure efforts, they call it their Belt and Road Initiative. Um, we've talked to countries all around the world and reminded them that if these are straight-up commercial transactions, it's be, it'd be one thing, um, but most often they are not. Most often they are uh, commercial projects uh, or national security projects masquerading as uh, commercial projects and attempt to use their state-owned enterprises to gain political influence and power. And we, we're reminding the whole world of these risks, and we are mindful of it for U.S. businesses as well as Chinese companies seek to invest here in the United States. We, we, we welcome that investment if it's purely commercial and it's designed uh, for a noble end, um, but we have to be uh, ever mindful of the national security risks presented from uh, each of the challenges that you just identified. Are our allies in the region um, really alert to all this in a, in a significant way? I mean, Japan and um, South Korea and the Philippines and so forth? It, it varies, Mark. 
I think it's fair to say that the whole world uh, was too slow uh, and a little bit of sleep watching as the uh, pot began to boil and the risk began to increase. Uh, but I do think as uh, the United States has taken serious efforts and we've now done our task of educating and informing others about these risks, I think we're seeing real progress. Uh, we're seeing real progress in people identifying the risks to their own people in their own countries and those countries beginning to exert their own sovereignty to protect their countries from the risk that China presents to them. Let me move to Iran. Now, this is a terrorist state. This has been a problem since I was in the Reagan administration, obviously, and uh, even before, during the Carter administration. They've just gotten more aggressive. They're conquering neighbors. They are inciting terrorist activities. They're funding terrorist activities. They're responsible for the death of God knows how many American soldiers. I've been reading lately that they are sprinting towards their their goal of ICBMs with nuclear warheads. Do we know anything more about that? Mark, what I can say is this. Uh, the, the deal that the previous administration entered into uh, actually green-lighted much of the activity that you're seeing in Iran today. Uh, certainly the missile activity, uh, which was prohibited, uh, now is less so, less constrained. Uh, their capacity, that is, to deliver uh, heavy payloads, which could include nuclear warheads, uh, over longer distances with more accuracy, uh, was freed up. And importantly, too, there was a whole lot of money. Uh, there was a lot of wealth created for Iran by lifting the sanctions and giving them the capacity to pay scientists, uh, uh, bring in materials, do all the things you need to do to build out a, um, a full suite of nuclear weapons capabilities from the weapon systems to the delivery vehicles uh, and the fissile material that goes with that. Uh, it was the central flaw of what John Kerry and President Obama negotiated. It, it greenlighted their capacity to do that and created the wealth that underpins a capable program. President Trump has turned that around and will put enormous pressure on Iran. And I'm very hopeful that we can get to a place where we can get to a real outcome that prevents Iran from threatening the United States and our allies, including Israel, in the Middle East. Do you, uh, do you find former Obama administration officials sort of circumventing our policies by going around you and dealing with uh, surrogates or directly with the Iranian government? We've seen this happen. And <laughs> yeah, you don't, you I, don't I, sound I, happy about it. I, I know I, you can't. Yeah, well, you yeah. know, Mark, it's, um, it's, it's unfortunate when it happens. No, no former official um, right. ought, to be, ought to be engaging in this kind of activity. Look, former officials talk to other leaders from other countries all the time. That is certainly normal. Um, but it's very different when you're out uh, trying to make a case that's different from what the, uh, the current government, who's trying to protect Americans, is trying to do. Now, I know you need to go. I want to tell you something. You are a terrific Secretary of State, and I've seen many Secretaries of State, and you are, you are serious about America's national security. You're former director of the CIA, former member of the House Intelligence Committee, and I want to just thank you for what you're doing. I know it's a tough job. I know people are biting at your ankles, but uh, you know, from my perspective, just keep moving forward because we need people like you in our government to protect this country. So I want to thank you, Secretary. Thank you very much. Thanks for the kind words, Mark. I promise you, President Trump and I will, will keep at protecting the American people every day. Uh, the American people give us the privilege to serve. God bless you. Be well. Bless you too, Mark. Take care. And that was the interview. Short and sweet, I thought. Did the best I could. Notice how he ended it. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? You see how he gave the president the credit. And he's right to have done that. 
And the president deserves the credit when he appoints somebody like him as secretary of state. As everybody knows, I was no fan of the first secretary of state. I don't remember his name. What was his name? Do you remember, Rich? Rex Tillerson. I was never a fan. When his name come up, I came up, I said, no, no, no. It's all there. You can listen to the past shows, but why bother? And he has an outstanding national security advisor in John Bolton. But in the end, it's the president's, you know, instincts, his thought processes, and they're quite good. They're really, really good. And he's got a great team. He really does. And that was a... Uh, Wonderful opportunity to talk to the Secretary of State. I hope I'll come back one day. Now, here's something interesting. There are over 2 million burglaries reported every year. That's one every 13 seconds. Now, that's crazy. Only one in five homes has home security. So Simply Safe looked at this and they said, that's a problem. Let us develop a product and a service that'll fix that. So everybody can afford the top, in my view, security system for their homes. Because most companies don't make this easy. But Simply Safe does. And that's why Simply Safe is transforming home security by breaking down those barriers to get you the best, most reliable and comprehensive protection available anywhere. Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24-7 professional monitoring. Their police dispatch is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video verification. It is a cutting-edge technology, this entire system, and it is so easy to put in place. Simply Safe has no contracts or hidden fees. The system is designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. It's so easy to order and so easy to set up, usually in under an hour. Now, that's if you're all thumbs. If you're really good at this, probably less than 30 minutes. And it's actually fun to do it, to decide for yourself where you want these various devices to be. And prices, well, they're always fair and honest. And around-the-clock monitoring is only 15 bucks a month. Visit simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com, to get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go right now and be sure you go to simplysafemark.com so they know I sent you. That's simplysafemark.com. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Do you wish that double chin would just disappear? Well, newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, people look at your jawline. It simply tells your age. Here's Robin from Lubbock, Texas. I put Genesel jawline cream on my neck two or three days ago. This is the best my neck has looked in 20 years. People told me my face looks young. I'm blown away. Now, with Chaminade's MDL technology, Genesel's brand new jawline treatment specifically targets the delicate skin on the neck area for tight, healthy, younger-looking skin. And you'll see your minor, your mirror smile back at you or 100% of your money back, no questions asked. This is what I love about this. 100% of your money back, no questions asked. Call now, and the classic Genesel for bags and puffiness is free with your order. 
Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. And to start seeing results in 12 hours or less, Genesel Immediate Effects is all yours, free. No double chin, no turkey neck, no sagging jawline, because no one needs to know your age. 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or Genesel.com. Get your two free gifts and free shipping right away. Call 800-SKIN-604. That's 800-SKIN-604. Man, there's so much to get to, but I really shouldn't start now. Let me get to the next hour. Got a lot lot of stuff. And uh, some of it is very uh, intriguing. I want to make sure we get to Mr. Producer, to whom shall I speak, please? WWTN Paula in Tennessee. Go. Hey, Mark. We saw you this weekend at the library, and it was such an honor to meet you and Julie and all the nice people. It was just a a thrill. And you came from Tennessee. I remember you. And people came from all over the country to all these signs. It's amazing. Wasn't it wonderful meeting all these people? Oh, my gosh. We made some great friends. I mean, you just have a kindred spirit. You know, we're all on the same sort of yep. page in life, and uh, all the California people at our table are so, you know, upset by their state, and they don't mm-hmm. know what to do, and uh, we're trying to prevent it here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. It's really a battle. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I appreciate that first uh, talk you had about uh, Bernie's propaganda and, you know, capitalism. It, you make things so clear and easy to understand, and I ask my friends to go back and listen on the podcast because, you know, a lot of people just aren't informed, and that's why I'm going to buy more of your book and (laughs) just keep passing it around and try to get people educated. Well, you're very, very kind. You know, people can go to the library too, Paula, but my local library here, uh, people are sending me emails saying they have four books, which is a lot of books, Mm -hmm. and a waiting line of 29 people. So there's something going on out there, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. And uh, we have friends here that just absolutely love you and love uh, all you're doing to promote conservatism and liberty. And I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to get to work as uh, my profession is I'm a songwriter. My husband said, you need to write a song. <laughs> that would <laughs> be great. your producer, your cameraman, and uh, he was so kind. And, uh, you know, he said, well, send me what you got. So, yep. you know. Maybe we'll get something moving, and I've got a lot of musician friends, and maybe we can get a stir going. Well, for you and the whole country out there, you should know that uh, tomorrow on Levin TV, we're going to do a a program on uh, questions from people who are at the Reagan Library. Maybe, Paula, you were one of them, and we're also having specials on the event at the Reagan Library the following week or the week after. I'm not sure when. So everybody can get a sense for what took place. We just want to invigorate people, motivate people, excite people, because it's easy to get down. Hell, I get down sometimes, too, looking at the direction of this country, uh, particularly with the media and the Democrats. So, Paula, cannot thank you enough making that long trip. It was a great pleasure to meet you guys, and, uh, and be well. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to underscore what I've said about the New York Times in my book and what I've said about the New York Times to you. That it has a hate on for Israel, it has a hate on for Netanyahu, and frankly it has a hate on for Jews. And there was a piece in the New York Times yesterday. Birthright trips, a rite of passage for many Jews, are now a target of protests. Now many of you have no idea what this is about, these birthright trips. So the article kind of explains it, but it does more. So let's begin. By Farah Stockman. Halfway through a 10-day tour in Israel, Risa Nagel had a decision to make. The 25-year-old Grant winner, writer from Seattle had hiked the hills of Galilee and wandered the ancient market in Jerusalem. But then some of the friends she had just met told her they were planning to walk off the tour to visit a Palestinian family an act of protest that was bound to cause pain and controversy. Quote, we will be able to see for ourselves what's going on, one of them told her. Do you want to come? Ms. Nagel agonized. The next day, after the group held a moment of silence at the Western Wall, her friends announced that they were walking off, and she followed them. So this birthright is about Jews going to Israel and reconnecting with Israel. What's happening is protesters are pretending that's what they're interested in, but they're not interested in that. They're interested in actually attacking Israel. It goes on. Over nearly two decades, a nonprofit organization called Birthright Israel has given nearly 700,000 young Jews an all-expense-paid trip to Israel in an effort to bolster a distinct Jewish identity and forge an emotional connection to Israel. The trips, which are partly funded by the Israeli government, have become a rite of passage for American Jews. Nearly 33,000 are set to travel this summer. But over the past year, some Jewish activists have protested birthright, saying the trips erase the experiences of Israeli Arabs and Palestinians living under occupation in the West Bank. You see where this is going? Activists have circulated petitions, staged sit-ins at Hillel's on college campuses, and blocked birthrights headquarters in New York. But no protests have generated more publicity and outrage than the walk-offs from a handful of birthright trips. Supporters of birthright dismissed the protesters, calling them professional activists and publicity seekers, whose views are out of step with the majority of American Jews. Others say that the function of the trip is not to educate participants about Palestinians. In a statement, Birthright said that demand for its trips was higher than ever and that the trips grappled with Israel's complex history in an apolitical manner. Now, what's happening is these hardcore leftists, people from J Street and the other hate Israel organizations, self-hating Jews, I would say, they're infiltrating this group and they're infiltrating this effort. That's what they're doing. That's what they do. They destroy these institutions. But the protests highlight growing unease among many young American Jews over Israel's policies. No, it doesn't. It's not illustrative of anything, but the usual left-wing radical nutjobs 
who are trying to destroy this birthright organization. They see Israeli leaders who've been drifting rightward, see, and openly embracing the annexation of the West Bank, land on which Palestinians have long hoped to build their own state. There is no West Bank. How many damn times do I have to explain this? West Bank, that's what Jordan called it after it annexed it in 1948-49. It's Judea and Samaria. Those are the historic names. Those are the biblical names of these areas. And they will not say them in the New York Times or elsewhere because it's clear from the word Judea that it's Jewish and Samaria. So they reject history purposely. Let's go on. The birthright protests, and these are radical leftists in this country, by the way, same radical leftists who support Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, same kooks. The birthright protests also highlight a generational divide between Jews who grew up with the constant fear of Israel's destruction and younger people today who may be more likely to take Israel's existence for granted and who focus instead on the millions of Palestinians left stateless by the conflict. Left stateless by the conflict? They never had a state. What are they talking about? If anything, most of them lived in Jordan. This is how it works with the New York Times. Just 6% of American Jews over the age of 50 believe that the United States gives Israel too much support, according to research by Dov Waxman, a professor of political science international affairs in Israel studies at Northeastern. But that view is held by 25% of Jews aged 18 to 29, the cohort that goes on birthright trips. Many older Jewish Americans have long expressed unease about Israel's settlements in the West Bank, but consider it anathema to openly protest the Jewish state. Where do they get that from? Where does that come from? Other than the opinion of the writer. Other than the opinion of the writer. You know, this could be a lot of fun, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see. Maybe the towns and areas where the Christians were should be given back to the Christians, like Bethlehem, which the Palestinians control. I mean, you would think the Palestinians were the first there. There were no Palestinians. In fact, let me repeat it. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. These are Arabs. They're Arabs. The name was made up about 100 years ago. Well, actually, it was made up by Arafat. Less than 100 years ago. They had no historic presence in the West Bank. My father used to say, here's the Bible. Now, show me where the Palestinians are in the Bible. Show me where the Palestinians are 125 years ago. They're not in Judea and Samaria, and there was no West Bank. See, this is truth. I haven't even gotten through the first five paragraphs of this article. This is the New York Times. Now, Ms. Nagel, who grew up in Glen Cove, Long Island, had organized against climate change in college and for racial equality as an adult, but she's never been involved in any Israel-related protests before her birthright trip. Her Jewish upbringing included Hebrew school, a bat mitzvah, and a desire to go on birthright. I was told this is your homeland. You have to go there, she said. She knew little about the conflict, she said, when she signed up for a free 10-day vacation. 
On the group's first night in Israel, one of the attendees, a law student named Rebecca Wasserman, asked if she could facilitate a discussion about Israel's military control over the West Bank. The brainwashing is unbelievable. The group's Israeli guide agreed and even shared some of his own deeply personal experiences as a former Israeli soldier. Many welcomed the talk that first night, said Ben Fields, 26, a college counselor from Denver. I'm saying the brainwashing of the left never ends, no matter where you are. Felt at first like it was a good-natured attempt to have these conversations, Mr. Fields said. Absolutely, these were things we should talk about. But as the trip wore on, Ms. Wasserman and three others kept bringing up the same points. They kept saying, when are we going to hear from Palestinians? Well, maybe you should go on a Palestinian birthright trip. Maybe you should go there and see how long you survive. Mr. Fields did not know it at the time, but Ms. Wasserman and the other three had been in contact with, if not now, a network of Jewish activists who want to end Jewish-American support for the occupation. There you go. There you go. One of, if not now's founders, Yona Lieberman, had helped lead a birthright trip as an outside volunteer in 2013 and said he saw a lot of lies about Israel. Activists cite the fact that one of the President Trump's biggest donors, Sheldon Adelson, has also given generously to birthright as a reason to be skeptical of the program. All right. So, of course, now Trump's involved, Adelson's involved, and, this, and the article only gets worse. It only gets worse. It's incredible. So you have these leftists who are like leftists anywhere, ladies and gentlemen, like leftists anywhere. You will find that the leftists who hate America hate Israel, that the leftists who hate Israel hate America. It's just the way it is because of the shared principles, the shared values, the shared belief systems. This country was founded as a Judeo-Christian nation with the influence, of course, of the Enlightenment. You're not even allowed to say that anymore. Judeo-Christian. What? What? Separation of church and state. No, no. I said Judeo-Christian. How many Christian communities are there anymore in the Middle East? They're almost all wiped out. And the few that are left, whether they're in Iraq, Iran, or Egypt, they're being wiped out. They're being wiped out. The second oldest religion. Born in the Middle East. There aren't even a million Christians in the Middle East that I'm aware of. The first, Judaism. They're told they're occupying land. They're occupying land. The Arabs slash Muslims have the entire Middle East. Over over a dozen, I think it's almost two dozen countries all included. Control them. Run them. And Israel's occupying territory that belonged to the Palestinians? What kind of a sick joke is this? And then you have little leftist jerks indoctrinated in colleges and universities and by these phony front groups, self-hating front groups, where they've now secreted themselves into this birthright program so they can go there. Well, why bother? Just go directly into the Palestinian areas. Go ahead. Go to Gaza. 
Let's see how long you last. Go to the Palestinian Authority. See how long you last. Hi. My name is Frederica. Frederica Goldstein. And uh, I'm from Queens, New York. And I'm 23 years old. And I want to bond with you. Hamas. I want to bond with you. And they're gone. Finished. Never to be seen again. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The left destroys everything it touches, doesn't it? Everything. Now we have the uh, the House Oversight Reform and Blah 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 Committee headed by this guy, Elijah Cummings. His wife runs the Democrat Party in Maryland. And I'm going to get to her after the break because there's more news on her and how Elijah Cummings isn't facing an ethics complaint in investigation right now. I don't know. But they're handing out these contempt votes like handing out lollipops at a state fair. Now this Elijah Cummings committee has voted to hold the Secretary of Commerce and the Attorney General in contempt. We're reaching a point where nobody cares if they're held in contempt. Because we know it's all a game, it's all about image, it's all about the media, it's all about left-wing politics. Anybody who does not bow to these, these mobsters who are running these committees is to be held in contempt. Anybody who doesn't agree with the demands, despite separation of powers, is to be held in contempt. And in this case, it's the Secretary of Commerce and again the Attorney General because they won't turn over information related to the census and the citizenship inquiry. And we already have a United States federal judge, a federal district judge who has ruled that Congress doesn't have the right to that information. But that doesn't stop a rogue Democrat House of Representatives. Now, I want to ask Jerry Nadler, how many hearings have you had, Mr. Nadler, your full committee, on illegal immigration? How many hearings have you had on immigration legal loopholes? How many hearings have you had on the abuses of the system by slip-and-fall immigration lawyers or the funding of these so-called caravans by left-wing organizations and billionaires in the United States? How many hearings have you had on that, Nadler? Not a damn one. Not one. How about you, Cummings, over there at the House Oversight and Reform Blah 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 Committee? How many hearings have you held? Not a damn one. These are things that matter to the American people. These are things that matter to the American people. They keep handing out subpoenas. Oh, that's hard work. That's tough. Keep trashing people. Let me tell you, there's more about this Elijah Cummings, his wife. He's chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He's facing accusations, as they write in the Daily Wire, that he is using his position in Congress to financially benefit his wife, whose charity may have gained illegal private benefit from his committee activities. And this is the guy handing out contempt citations, if you will. 
This guy's filled with contempt. Everything about him is contemptible. Now, we've touched on this. Cummings' wife, Maya Rockymore, if that is her name, is the chairman of the Maryland Democratic Party. And a reminder, she runs two entities, a nonprofit group called the Center for Global Policy Solutions and a for-profit consulting firm called Global Policy Solutions, LLC, whose operations appear to have overlapped, according to an IRS complaint filed by Watchdog Group, National Legal and Policy Center. Rocky Moore's charity received millions from special interest groups and corporations that had business before her husband's committee and could have been used illegally. Cummings needs to be dragged in front of the Ethics Committee. Maybe they'll handcuff him to the chair. Maybe they'll send him to the house prison or, as otherwise known, the cafeteria. One of Global Policy Solutions' clients is the AARP, which testified before Cummings' committee earlier this year on the prices of prescription drugs after Cummings cited an AARP analysis. Get it? Current prescription price trends are simply not sustainable. Catherine Alicia Georges, AARP's National Volunteer President, told the House Oversight and Reform Committee in January. Now, the AARP, which sells insurance, has launched a new campaign, Stop Drug Greed, that aims to drive down the cost of prescription drugs by pushing for artificial government price controls. They testified in front of this committee. Pete Flaherty, chairman of the National Legal and Policy Center, told the Daily Wire, it's obvious what's going on here. Cummings is using his position in Congress to drum up business for his wife, both for her nonprofit and her limited liability corporation. We still have not received a copy of the nonprofit's tax form. Nonprofits, like my own, he said, are supposed to make them available upon request, and we certainly do. But I asked her for her taxes on April 29th. Hey, Cummings! How about 10 years of your and your wife's taxes, as well as the taxes for your nonprofit and for-profit group, you fraud? They call him Mr. Right, Mr. Conservative, and Mr. Constitution, but... You can call him Mark at 877-381-3811. Well, what is it? It's Wednesday on the East Coast night, 8.34 p.m. On the West Coast, it's getting there. It's 5.34 p.m. Where's your unfreedom of the press package? Now, why do I say this? Because Father's Day is Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. So I'm going to strongly encourage you acquire a copy as soon as possible if you're going shopping it's at every major retail store that sells books warehouse stores bookstores like the great barnes and noble among others costco walmart so forth and of course amazon.com makes it very easy if you want to get it next day and to get it for your husband or your father your grandfather your son i suspect they're going to enjoy it and learn a hell of a lot from it. It's actually quite an easy read. It is a uh, substantive book, like all my books are, but it's an easier read than many of the books that I've written on freedom of the press. And I wrote it that way so even Jim Acosta could understand it. But I actually don't think he can anymore. You know, my good friends at the Media Research Center 
are planning this terrific cruise to the Mediterranean in September, and I'm told it's filling up fast. Go to mrccruise.com or call 888-MRC-TRIP for all the details. You know, there's a formula for these things, and the MRC has really figured it out. Now, what does that mean? Well, it starts with great speakers. In this case, you have Brent Bozell, Alan West, Cal Thomas, Jason Chavitz, Joe Piscopo, the Honorable James Buckley, Terry Jeffrey, and many, many others. People who are intelligent, interesting, leaders in their field. They are approachable. They're funny. They're substantive. And they'll enjoy talking with each of you. If you sign up, you'll get to have dinner with a few of them and pick their brains. It's an extraordinary opportunity that people really enjoy. They talk about for the rest of their lives. They also pick excellent ships with great itineraries. And they really focus on making sure everyone has fun and is taken care of. It's not all serious. Now, of course, you'll be discussing serious topics, but the goal is to have fun and to meet like-minded people. To take a rest, to enjoy yourselves. You deserve it. Give yourself the gift. Give your spouse the gift. Another great Father's Day gift. And I guarantee you'll make wonderful new lifetime friends. All you have to do is go to mrccruise.com or call 888-MRC-TRIP. They can answer all your questions, but do it today, folks. That's mrccruise.com or 888-MRC-TRIP. Let me tell you something. This would be a great trip if just Brent Bozell was on the boat. I mean, he is hilarious. He is smart. He is just somebody you like being around. So I would encourage you to jump in now. mrccruise.com or 888-MRC-TRIP. All right, let's see who's calling. Man, I've got so much more here, but you know what? I'd rather hear from you right now. Esther, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC, go. I had two daughters who went on birthright. They never experienced such a thing. They never saw such a thing. However, this is disgusting. This is an outrage. And the birthright organizers, unfortunately, are going to have to start profiling. Who yeah, applies. but you know what? It's difficult to do because people lie. I mean, maybe they should. But uh, what's happening here, these these uh, leftists, uh, millionaires and billionaires are funding these these ultra radical organizations that really reject the state of Israel and reject the the decision of the Israeli people to elect the Netanyahu government. And these are, are Americans, liberal Jewish American kids who are in in disguise, essentially, as people who really want to learn more about Israel and connect with Israel here from the United States. And what they're doing is they are sabotaging this program. It is disgusting. Well, they're going to have to vet them. They're going to have to do... There's no other choice. And I hope those... Hold on. Don't yell. You're hurting my ears. Go ahead. Corned beef sandwich. Those yentas. All right. Thank you for your call. Ooh, that hurt, didn't it, Mr. Producer? Holy mackerel. Eduardo, Irvine, California, the great 870 The Answer, K-R-L-A, and I will be out there in October with my great affiliate. Go right ahead. Mark, thank yes. you. You are the best. Thank the best you, amigo sir. amigo for the people. Amigo thank you. Amigo de la libertad. Friend of the freedom. Saturday, God bless you. I was in the Reagan Library. You're the best. This comment is related with your book about the fake news. I want to comment about the relationship between the Mexican president and yes. the U.S. president. 
Yes. I want to spread the word, especially with the Mexican-American community. Mexican president called the media la prensa fifi. Fifi means like the rich millionaires that owns the lefty media, like the millionaire Carlos Slim that owns, mm -hmm. that owns own part of the New York Times. Yes. Slim, Slim hates the Mexican president. The Mexican president canceled a big development at the airport, and he's really mad with him. Mm -hmm. Televisa is partnership with Univision. Let me just slow down. So you're saying this billionaire who's invested in the New York Times hates the president of Mexico? I think so, yeah. He comes yes. with this big project. Yes. And, and, the, and the other two televisions, then one is Univision, then is Televisa partnership with Univision that owns ABC. And TV Azteca is partnership with Telemundo that owns, that owns NBC. <laughs> they don't like the Mexican president also. I thought the now, Mexican president was some kind of leftist. Is he not? It is. It is. Yeah. But, but it's, always, it's, 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 it's hated by the, by, the, by the rhinos. Is he hated because he's actually working with Trump at Trump's uh, insistence? I think so. He, they have a good relationship. He respects him. He don't want any confrontation with him. Mm -hmm. You know, let me let me give you a, a comment. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Jorge Ramos, the, the... Jorge Ramos! Yeah. Oh, yes. He, he went to, to, to Mexico. The Mexican president, he gives uh, every morning the, la, la Mañanera. It's, it's uh, 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 la prensa. Uh, they have a uh, they have a, a morning conference, press conference. Yes. And he, he, Jorge Ramos is Jorge Ramos there uh, talking to the Mexican president as well as our own? Yes, and he failed to mm. to to provoke the president the same way he he, he provoked the, the 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 president Trump. Jorge Ramos and, is sort of the the Mexican uh, Jim Acosta, wouldn't you say? Yes, and he failed to 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 provoke the president, the Mexican yes. president, yes. because he wants to provoke everyone. It's yes. like Jim Acosta. Yes, and uh, he was, and the and the Mexican. By the way, media, I like the way you put that, Acosta. I like that. Acosta. Yes, and uh, and the Mexican media they criticize Jorge Ramos. Yes, they don't, all the Span all the free Spanish media bloggers YouTube, because they, they know he's Jorge. a blowhard, just like Jim Acosta. Yeah, they 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 hate Jorge Ramos. Millions of Mexicans don't trust Televisa and TV Azteca. You know, Univision, yes, yes. ABC, and NBC. Univision. That's why they. The, the uh, Univision. The Mexican president won with the help of the internet message. Mm -hmm. Mexican Hispanics represent a big community community in the USA. Mark, mm -hmm. yes. you check my you check my mind. A Mexican Thank born, you. U.S. naturalized, big time Thank California you. lefty liberal. You check me. Let me let me ask you something, Eduardo. And I'm serious about this. What if we were to take unfreedom of the press and print like five thousand copies in Spanish? Do you think it would be worth that? To get the book out there, uh, it, it it will work, yeah. and yeah, and but we need the help of of the radio. Yes, we need the whole. The, this, we need we need. Unfortunately, most of the Spanish radio and television is bad, really bad. Yes, Nazi. yes. We we don't have somebody to represent us, guide us. We so we Spanish. need we need conservatives who speak Spanish or. Or, or their ancestry is south of the border to get on some of these radio stations and speak. I like that idea. Yeah, and that's and, a good idea. Believe me, in five years, you know, in five years, they the Mexicans change their mind. 
and they mm -hmm. get rid of the pre. Pre mm -hmm. was for 70 years, and mm -hmm. the power, and the power, and then the pan. Pan won. Uh, folks won with the help of George George Soros, and also you know the pan was. You notice this the, George Soros name always comes up. I, you know what he did, Eduardo? There were two. Um, uh, prosecutor elections in uh, Virginia, state prosecutors, and they 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 run in the counties. And George Soros put approximately a million dollars in each race, overwhelming uh, the opposition candidate. And what he did is he he helped elect these radical leftists into these prosecutor positions, and then they used these prosecutor positions to uh, go soft on crime, to let people out of jail, to not prosecute people for a whole host of crimes. And Soros is doing this all over the place now, and they just knocked off two Democrats, two incumbents who were, you know, kind of middle of the road, leaning left, and put these radical types in, in office. So this guy Soros is a very, very nasty man. But Eduardo, I've got to go. I want to thank you very, very much for your call. It was a great pleasure to meet you. And call again, and God bless you, my friend. Irvine, California, wonderful, wonderful place. Let us go to Daniel, Los Angeles, California. Also, 870 The Answer, the great KRLA, where we are live and national. Go ahead. Oh, oh Mark, my man. My, uh, my daughter, Samantha, you probably won't remember this, called you years ago. Asking your well, advice I have to admit, I really don't. If it was years ago, I've had <laughs> thousands of callers, yes. So she, had, she called asking your advice on what to do as a Jew on college campuses. Yes. And, uh, and one of the reasons why, she, and you gave her advice, she read Ameritopia, actually, in Plundering the Sea. And uh, you gave her some websites to go on. She did not go on Birthright because she's, uh, she tends to be a little more religious. But she went to Israel for a year, and now she's joined the army. She's uh, made Aliyah, which means she's, you know, she's... All right, so, so most of the audience isn't Jewish, so they're saying, okay, great, now what? <laughs> well, no. So she just so there's a whole other side of kids that are pro-Israel out there, and that are pro and that are patriots as well. And uh, this birthright, uh, this thing's been going on for a while. So no, I know that. But what I'm talking about is this effort to destroy this organization and destroy what they're what they're doing. That's the that's the news. That's the point. And and it is and it is. Uh, illustrative for for all americans of what the left does uh the left whether whether it's catholics protestants uh jews what have you this becomes their religion this this is their ideology this is their faith this is their god and so this is just another example of this when you have these these self-haters who form these organizations that are heavily funded for the purpose of destroying even an institution like this right so we need more more kids that are pro-Israel to keep on going. No, we, we need, we need, that's fine, but we need to expose these organizations and their funders for what they're doing. That's what we need to do. All right, Daniel, appreciate your call, my friend. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over at Breitbart, John Nolte, death spiral continues as CNN loses one-third of primetime audience. The far-left CNN's ratings death spiral marched into last week as the fake news network lost one-third of its primetime audience 
and a breathtaking 55% of its demo viewers, 25 to 54. When compared to this same week last year, CNN also lost 21% of its total day viewers. How bad is this? Well, you can't blame a slow news week, he writes, because not only was President Trump on an overseas trip, but as we all see, CNN stands completely alone with this massive audience implosion. By comparison, in primetime, MSLSD and Fox News only lost 4% of their viewers compared to last year and 7 and 5% of their total day viewers, although MSNBC is heading, the, heading for the tank. That's why they're panicking over there. They're panicking over there, but CNN down 33%. If it wasn't for AT&T propping it up, it would be gone. It is a, it is a polluting carbon footprint. That's what CNN is. Imagine all the electrical electricity we could save just by shutting that place down. And it wouldn't hurt freedom of the speech in the least, and it would help it. Demand letters from the IRS are hitting the mail. If you owe back taxes, you may be receiving one soon. And when it arrives, you'll have questions like, is it true that the IRS can garnish my paycheck? And can the IRS really take my home and bank accounts? And can they get my retirement savings? Uh, The answer is yes to all of that. The IRS can do that and more, but there's a way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an official government program for tax debt assistance. Nobody knows more about the Fresh Start Initiative than the award-winning experts at Optima Tax Relief. Optima's mission is to stand between you and the IRS, fighting to help protect your paycheck and assets, and helping you get the best deal possible. But don't delay, because the IRS can tack on hefty penalties and interest every day. Call Optima right now for your free consultation while you still have options. Call 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. OptimaTaxRelief.com. You know, really, the... Mass modern media, it's the only business where you can lie for two and a half years about something like Russia collusion and get a promotion. Not fired, get a promotion. It's the only business where you can lose one-third of your customers and continue to do the same thing. Look at, look at what happened with the Washington Post. The Washington Post was going broke, and then Bezos at Amazon came in and bought it. And saved it. Which is why you don't see a lot of negative articles about him. Or look at the New York Times. And it's disgusting, unconscionable history. There's like, there's like censorship around their history. Saved by the billionaire in Mexico. The telecommunications magnate. CNN. Run by an ideologue, Jeff Zucker. A buffoon, a fool. He's destroyed that news cable net- network, and he got a promotion by AT&T. Because AT&T doesn't care. They can afford it. And then look at MSNBC. Andrew Lack, the guy that runs NBC News, a complete idiot. Been an idiot a long, long time. He's upset about the ratings. So what do they do? They move the uh, deck chairs on the Titanic, known as MSNBC. They move them around. Rachel Maddow's ratings are cratering as are all the rest. Joe Scarborough sits there 
a W.C. Fields bulbous nose like, spews his stupidity each and every day with his sidekick, uh, Mika McMahon, I mean Mika Brzezin, uh, whatever. You can only peddle hate for so long. The American people are really smart, I hope. And that's why so many of these mass media platforms are dying. They are dying. They are suffering. Now, they'll blame it on technology. That's part of the reason, and that's a good thing. Technology's good. That's what America's about. Progress, creativity, thinking outside the box, inventing things. That's what the mind is for. That's what the mind does. And so we have an economic system that that undergirds that kind of thinking, that kind of mindset, free will and so forth. That's a good thing. And these these news outlets, so-called, they're not going to survive over time. They're going to do enormous amount of damage in the meantime, trying to claw their way back. But in the, in the long run, they're not going to exist, many of them. There'll be new platforms and new technologies. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all you heroes out there. Thank you. And I want to thank all you Levinites. If you haven't gotten your father, your grandfather, or your husband, unfreedom of the press, you're running out of time. Go to Amazon.com or any retail outlet. God bless you. See you tomorrow.